0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 68 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and this episode was recorded on Saturday the 21st of August. In just a moment, Chris will be joining us uh, with all things cruise news maritime history, and we've got three great listener questions um, which we'll be uh, starting off the today's show with. Just a reminder, if you do have a question yourself or you want to get involved with the show in the form of a cruise review, um, you can do so via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. In the top right-hand corner, join the show, and that's how you get in touch with uh, myself and Chris. Also, a quick reminder that uh, we do have the merchandise available on the uh, the website, whether it's a Big Cruise podcast t-shirt or whether you want to design your own for a, a cruise that's coming up in the not-too-distant future, um, very easy to do so. And uh, great things about these uh, t-shirts is that they are um, all organic cotton. They are produced using only green energy, and there is no plastic whatsoever to uh, find its way into the, the water system. So uh, head on to the website once again. But let's jump straight into it. Let's get Chris in the studio, and let's talk all things... Cruise News. And of course, at the start of every show, we always have our great friend, maritime historian and all things Cruise News. Chris Frame is
3: back in the studio. Hey, Chris. Hey, Baz. Good to be back.
2: Yes, it is. And uh, I sent you a little photo to you earlier this week. Our good friend Paolo in the UK has just got off his uh, Cunard cruise and he, uh, he had a picture with your beautiful book.
3: I know it was like such a huge excitement for us to see that, and thanks so much to Paolo for sending it through. Yeah. Um, that book had been a long time coming because we we photographed the ship in um, in 2018. It was ready to go in 2019, and then of course because of the pandemic, the the publication was was all sort of pushed back for its launch on the ships. Um, it was going to be there ready for the for the passengers after she got back from her you know Australian. Um, season but now yes so so to see it there and and the photograph for the other listeners who haven't seen it um, he's sitting there in the grand lobby with the uh, beautiful sort of Queen Elizabeth um, wood carving in the background as well so it is uh, it was quite a quite a thrill to see it so thank you so much
2: yeah, and we will be speaking to Paolo. He's going to be doing a review for us in the, the next week or so, so we'll have an episode with Paolo in the very not-too-distant future. I must and admit we...
3: to being only the tiniest bit jealous that people are on board the Queen Elizabeth at the moment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I've actually got a, queen, I've got a Cunard question for you from a listener. Um, yes. Actually, let's go straight into that. We've got a bigger question which forms maritime history, but because we're talking Cunard, let's jump straight in mm. and answer Sharon's question. She's from Queensland. She asked Chris, you meant... Oh, no, sorry. We're talking G from Singapore. Sorry, I've got the wrong question. G <laughs> from Singapore. So many questions <laughs> this week. So, Chris, if you had to choose one queen to sail on tomorrow, would you choose QM2, Queen Elizabeth, or Queen Victoria, and why?
3: <laughs> oh, that's a tough choice. Um, can I say QE2? No. Um, <laughs> I, I would actually I probably would have to say I, w- I would choose um, QM2, and I would just love to get back onto the transatlantic. Oh yeah, uh, my. Um, one of the most remarkable voyages I think I've had was the was the Queen Mary two's um, voyage across the Atlantic in November of 2019 when we um, were commemorating the 100th anniversary of sailings between Southampton and New York mm-hmm. and uh, the the atmosphere on the ship when she goes because I've been obviously on you know QE2 QM2 QE QE QB many times as cruise ships mm-hmm. but the atmosphere on Qm2 when she goes, transatlantic was something i'd never quite experienced before the the ship comes alive for seven days she is her own world Mm -hmm. and um and and the 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 atmosphere the experience the ability to to really get to know other passengers and you know share there's a lot of people who do transatlantic because they they like the history side of things Mm -hmm. so that is probably the reason why
2: excellent Um, Let's jump into another question. Uh, This one was sent through um, from a travel agent in Queensland, actually, Neil um, from Travel Studio and Travel Masters. He's a very, uh, very popular cruise agent up there. And he had a question, um, which he sent through, which um, asked, um, if I could pass on to you, Chris, which I did. And he asked, Chris, could you give us the history and the tradition behind cruising the equator ceremony that is observed on all ships when they do cross the line? I've participated in two myself, both off the coast of Africa, whilst working on the
3: original Love boats. Ah, there you go. But <laughs> yes, never I, really I, understood
2: this the bizarre ceremony. Can you <laughs>
3: any insights? It's interesting actually because I I, um, I know Neil. I did some talks for them. So. Oh, okay, <laughs> but this one came through through the podcast, which is nice. Yeah. Um, the so it's a very ancient um, history, a very ancient tradition, and the actual first time it happened is is lost to history. Um, which is kind of interesting, like oh. so, so many things. In fact, Baz, when we were doing the research for our um, history of the transatlantic crossing book, the actual first crossings of the Atlantic, again, are, are stories that have been passed down of um, people from, from northern Europe making those, those brave voyages on the small um, sailing ships rather than um, they' actually being written history of it -hmm. yeah so this is a bit like that where it it was something that's kind of been part of maritime uh lore i suppose for so long that no one can pinpoint it down to it was first started on this ship on this day okay but what they believe the origins are is it's a it's a very ancient ceremony that probably has its heritage back in a ritual to commemorate um, passing of headlands on long voyages. So probably had nothing to do with the equator because obviously oh, right. those original voyages didn't cross. Well, yep. the, the equator wasn't being crossed regularly by by sailing ships in those early, early days. Um, and so the idea behind, behind it is that old um, or experienced crew who've done voyages, and of course, back in this time, you know, it was you were very brave to go to sea like that because there were a lot of ships that were lost, a lot of ships were never heard of again, things happened on board where people would die. Um, You only have to read um, some of uh, Peter Fitzsimons' books about Batavia or, um, you know, the Endeavour or um, the bounty to hear some of the, you know, stories of what would happen when you went on these long ocean voyages. But the older crew who have done these trips before would put their younger mates through the paces in a way to sort of prove that they were worthy I guess of mm-hmm. um uh or, or strong enough to um to actually undertake the voyage so it's quite a quite an old-fashioned mindset I guess in terms of in terms of that uh, and a lot of it comes back to the fact that there weren't, you didn't go like you are today and go for training and all that sort of stuff. You would basically literally be kind of rounded up in bars and stuff around <laughs> around the country and and, um, and given sort of passage on these ships. So you, you might have absolutely no seagoing experience at all. Um, whereas the ones who had been, you know, the, the people who had been working on these sailing ships for long periods of time, they were they were quite, um, quite experienced at what they were doing. So... Um, if we look at historical records, the, the UK's um, records do show on numerous occasions that captains of the early sailing ships refer to the crossing of the line ritual as having started in either Spain, Portugal or or, or Italy and okay. it seems to have a naval heritage. So right. naval um, gunships and that sort of thing crossing the equator. They would do these these sort of ceremonies and they, they vary in severity from um, on board the, say, let's, let's look at the Endeavour, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joseph Banks actually travelled um, aboard Endeavour and he wrote um, a lot of detailed notes and journals that were actually have been used to sort of document that that, that famous voyage. And um, he noted that, that the seasoned crew, the people who had been on board the ship, not on on Endeavour, but who'd been to sea for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. they sort of took this ceremony very seriously. And they went so far as to interrogate all of the crew, um, all the people on board the ship, uh, as to whether or not they'd crossed the line before. But they didn't just stop there. They also were were noted interrogating the dogs and the cats that were carried on board the ship. So (laughs) I imagine there was a little bit of of alcohol involved, perhaps, (laughs) if you're interrogating the cat. Um, But... um, Anybody who, who was found to have not crossed the line before had a choice um, on board Endeavour. They were to either give up a month's um, ration of wine um, or they would be ducked three times into the water, which, which saw them sort of attached to a rope and you know, thrown off the side of the ship oh, wow. and hauled back up and then thrown <laughs> off the side of the ship. I mean, remarkably, um, from, from what the records show, Most people chose to be ducks rather than lose their wine rations, but I can't even imagine like, it sounds terrible. Um, And because of this, Baz, like there is, there have been sadly many um, instances of, of very poor behavior when it comes to these ceremonies, they, they, they can um, have historically got quite out of control um, and, and led to, to people doing some pretty unpleasant things to each other. So, um, of course, that's very different from the cruise experience. This is in the, in the old in the old navies. Now, these days, of course, it's a, a much more sort of laid back affair. Um, even on naval vessels, it's not you're not being you shouldn't be being thrown off the side of the ship. Put it that way. <laughs> um, but uh, on cruise ships, they have kind of linked it to to, to the, the, the maritime um, uh, uh, folklore, I suppose, of King Neptune. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a court. So basically, all the people who who are um, have not crossed the line are invited to come to King Neptune's court, and they they dress up. So I, I did the crossing of the line on the QE two on her last ever um, crossing of the equator, mm-hmm. and they had the, the 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 captain was there, and he did a, a sort of an announcement welcoming King Neptune there. King Neptune was the cruise director who was all dressed up with a yep. big hat and a staff and all sorts of things. And they, they offer you an opportunity to, to come up, confess that you've never gone across the equator. And then quite often you're like, food and stuff is put on you, maybe some chocolate mousse or whatever, and then you're thrown into the swimming pool um, as <laughs> uh, a bit of a you know, a bit of a tradition. But even that, like, it has its, um, it has its it, it, people who think it's fantastic and other people who kind of look at it and go, what a waste of all the food and all that sort of stuff. So it is kind of one of those, those ceremonies that can, can be a bit divisive. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of people on cruise ships these days, um, you know, whilst there are, there are people who would obviously choose to go and do it because it, they might think it's a, of it as a bit of fun. I think a lot of people who haven't crossed the line, don't put their hand up and just sort of stand there and watch from the, from the background, um, <laughs> rather than getting, getting covered in food. So yeah, to, to kind of get back to the core of Neil's question, it, it, it's origins are ancient. It probably wasn't linked originally with the equator. Um, and no one. Uh, so far as I could tell, knows exactly where it started.
2: Okay. Interesting. It's did, been I there because it's been there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I did a Hurtigruten cruise uh, up from Bergen up to Kirkenes and Essend back, and when they cross the Arctic Circle, they have a, a Neptune ceremony as well, and I forget mm. which way around it is, but one way... Um, if you haven't crossed the Arctic Circle before, you are have a baptism with ice cold water poured okay. down your back below your jacket, and on the other direction, you were served a huge spoon of cod liver oil. But I, yeah, it's, uh, Neptune was there and it was involved, and it was a, it's a bit of an entertainment uh, special out on the open deck as well. But it's, yeah. it's interesting. Well, I guess that
3: that that, like, that 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 kind of links back to the to the maybe a shared origin because if the crossing of the equator ceremony was developed out of. Um, ceremonies for leaving headlands and stuff when it comes to the the northern um sort of norse explorers and that sort of thing um it makes sense that that perhaps that's also branched off to become this 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 ceremony that you're talking about yeah. as well so they probably have a shared I, could, I can't say that definitively but they probably have a shared <laughs> her- heritage yeah brilliant love it and, and you had a again. question from sharon as well didn't you
2: yeah yeah quickly thank you to neil for that one and a big shout out to any travel agents out there you're all doing it tough as are many areas of the tourism industry so uh Keep smiling keep trying to do what you do because we, we will be back I'm, I'm pretty sure of that at some point point. and of course yes we do have a question from Sharon in Queensland who ask specifically to you Chris um, you mentioned piano Aurora occasionally uh, what mm. makes her so special and could you pick five favorite features of her
3: uh Aurora is one of my my favorites um, and actually it's funny enough I, I did a, a video just recently about my top five favorite things about oh, wow. um, about the Aurora but um, she she's special because Aurora is a one-off Design. She was, she was made as a sister ship to the 1995 Oriana, but there was five years that passed between the two ships being built, and so they took sort of Oriana's basic design and then modified it significantly to create Aurora. So she's not like a like a Vista class ship where staircases are all in exactly the same place and all the Mm -hmm. restaurants are in the same place, and they've just changed the decor. Aurora is unique; like there isn't another ship like her. So that is that is. Fun for somebody who likes, yeah, um, passenger ships for 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 their like design and that sort of thing. Like I do, um, she's she's got a very unique personality because of, of that. Um, the ship has these wonderful wide open decks with this terraced aft area on board where the the decks sort of cascade down onto yeah like onto each other, and there's bars and seating areas, and it's just like perfect for sailaways or for watching sunsets or even in morning coffee when the sun's sun's rising in the northern hem- hemisphere like when it's getting closer to winter and that sort of thing it's just it's just lovely up up there um and the ship has um the the atmosphere on board um aurora is it sort of it benefits from the fact that she has quite a a strong uh history connection so sort of, quite a quite a strong uh heritage mm-hmm. and um this is because she was the last ship that was built for P&O uh, before it was it was uh, acquired by, by Carnival. And I'm not, that, I'm not saying that because there's anything wrong with it being part of Carnival, but P&O Cruises was actually part of P&O uh, Steam uh, Navigation Company mm-hmm. uh, prior to that. And because of that shared heritage, they have lots of items on board Aurora that aren't found on the newer ships. So they have like real historical paintings, real historical models, that sort of thing. So it's a yeah, bit like yeah. the QE2 was in that she has that really close connection with the history of the company. And then there are really nice spaces on board the ship as well. So her crow's nest, which is the forward observation lounge, is a really pleasant place to to, to watch other ships passing by, to have a drink. It turns into this wonderful sort of, um, sort of club-like uh, venue in the evenings. Um, they have... Musicians there, but also um, I've given a number of small talks when we're coming in and out of ports in mm-hmm. the Crow's Nest. Um, so it's quite got quite a nice um, sort of atmosphere there for people to to have a drink and listen to something in the background kind of thing. So it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like a formal lecture, which yeah. is quite nice. Uh, and the ship also has a number of uh, sort of features that aren't found on modern cruise ships anymore. So she she has the big show lounge, but she also has a separate dedicated cinema mm-hmm. like it's actually a movie movie theater that that they do use for lectures but it is in essence like going to you know event cinemas basically or um, yeah. to your to your local um to your local movie uh, movie house because uh it's set up like that and so when you go in there to watch a film like on the big cruise ships you might go into the main theater and it's a screen on the massive stage and that sort of thing but you go into aurora and it kind of feels like it's a proper proper venue yeah, yeah, um yeah exactly and and she has a that they they've because the deck plan is so different um they've been able to like link things up in a way that the the uh, the ships that share classes don't really do so aurora has a um a, a sort of a secondary restaurant um called the glass house which is shared amongst all the piano cruiser ships but auroras can be accessed from the deck that it's on, but they also have this wonderful spiral staircase that's built in from the deck below. That feet, sort of a feature of the back end of the casino is this huge staircase that leads up to the glass to the glass yep. house, and um, those sorts of things. Again, it was something that the older ships used to have. I mean, she was only built in two thousand, but she shares that kind of link with the older style of, of of liner where there were little bars and lounges that were kind of places you wouldn't expect them and staircases that led you places so once you got to know the ship you could find your way around really easy and there's all these little things that just sort of delight you on board aurora which is kind of the reason why she she really stands out for me and she looks nice from the outside too she's a cruise ship but she has like a, a terrace stern she's got a nice long bow she's got nice proportions they haven't stuck extra balcony cabins on the back of her or anything like that yes yeah, she, she don't, like don't a ship get ship, any yeah. ideas <laughs> leave her alone <laughs> um so she just looks good, which is, which is another nice thing. I think it's I don't know something, something rather satisfying about being on a ship that, that people look at and go, you know, that's a nice looking ship. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I've still on her too, and she is, she is beautiful. And you say that the aft um, terraced decks is a, a great feature. Um, yeah. What and would I, you say your favorites are, um, apart from the decks? I particularly liked the, um, there was a secondary. Um, not a show lounge, but a, a cabaret lounge, I guess. I yeah, ship at the back yeah. of the ship. Yeah. Um, so if you, if, you know, you could go and see the big show if you wanted to, but if you wanted something a little bit different, there was normally a, mm. a singer or some sort of entertainment on in, in a smaller lounge as well. So yeah. that was that was a nice little touch. I found the pink bathrooms in the cabins a little bit quirky. If you've never seen those before <laughs> on a cruise ship.
3: Um, and yeah, I have to they say, kind I of think... had like a pinkish peach tone yeah. to them, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I
2: do say it's got the best curry at sea. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, in Sindhu. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um you know what's interesting as well is that the the Aurora and Oriana um they are well Oriana was 69,000 tons and um Aurora's um 76,000. So they they're kind of big but they're not huge, right? Yeah. But if you look at them compare them to say um the comparable I guess Vista class which is used across the number of carnival brands the 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 vista class ships have like a a big double-story dining room at the back they have several large bars they have a big forward observation area very nice design they have on quick cunard's vistas they have a a ballroom on others they have big shopping promenades they've got a pub or that sort of thing but these spaces are all quite um quite large and so there are plenty of places for you to go and sit and and drink and eat and all that sort of thing but the the number of different venues is more limited than what you find on on aurora yeah. and oriana um and so with aurora still being there like because the ship's this one-off design they they have they have obviously the big show lounge but then they also as you say have a secondary show lounge and they have a movie theater and they've got these smaller places on board that you've yeah. got smaller bars and lounges where you couldn't fit as many people as you can on the On the bigger cruise ships, but there's so many more options that you could go to uh, Andersons, or you could go to Carmen's for a drink, or you could go to the 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 sports bar um, near the the casino, or you could go to the Glass House and actually have a drink there rather than it being just a restaurant. They do both, and so yeah, they've they've made some clever choices in the way that they um the, the way that they built these spaces out that they could have multiple uses, and also there's like more when we did the book for um aurora mm-hmm. photographic journey book it was almost harder to fit a smaller ship into the book because there were so many more rooms on board the ship if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah it was um it's interesting
2: when we sailed on her she was still uh, welcoming children um, but i think from yep. memory she no longer does what's happened no. to that kid's cub place? has that become that's cabins else? now yeah oh, okay. so they,
3: they, they they um gutted that whole area and basically built in a series of new um right sort of deluxe rooms with windows and then in the center central part because the the kids area on the aurora was at the aft end of the deck where the swimming pool is so they lead out to a kid's swimming pool area um and that the the middle core part of that deck used to have all the kids facilities and stuff in it and that's now uh, also is is cabins and um the the kids pool area was was removed and they kind of redid the entire swimming pool area it's i don't know it's kind of um You wouldn't know it if you were on board the ship if you hadn't seen it before like it doesn't look like anything was ever was ever altered the uh, the only way um if if i remember correctly that you can that you can tell that those new cabins are are new is that aurora's um, was built during the era before um before carnival so her cabin um doors and the little letter boxes outside the cabins where they put the daily program yep. and stuff they they all show the the rising sun motif in the old p mm-hmm. and o style and on the aft end where they put these new cabins in obviously it's a new version so no, okay. <laughs> you can kind of pick it like that but that's you gotta about really it look for it yeah yeah you've got to look for it. you gotta know what you're looking for but that's again for anybody who's a who's a you know ship ship geek like i guess like i am um those are the little things that you do you do notice but most people would just walk past it and have no idea that it was, was ever anything different <laughs> brilliant some great questions
2: there from the listeners so thanks again to to each of you for sending those through if anybody has got a question send it through via the website the bigcruisepodcast.com and uh, join the show in the top right hand corner is how you send that through and uh, i'll share it with chris and we'll do our best to answer them for you and um, chris let's take a quick break and then we're back with cruise news
3: sure
1: It's me again. Just a quick reminder. Um, If you want to help keep this podcast on air, there's a little way that you can do it. If you're familiar with Patreon, which other podcasters and YouTubers use, that's a way of uh, sending a little donation uh, through to them. We use something similar, but we use a system called Buy Me A Coffee. Um, just like uh, buying your friends uh, a coffee in the coffee shop, very, very similar. Although you're not physically buying me your a coffee, you're making a small donation. And every donation is greatly appreciated because it really does help to, uh, to keep us on air. And the benefit is once you have made that donation, um, you are then receive priority access to the podcast because if all of our supporters do receive the uh, the link to the podcast the moment that it is made live and uh, it can take about 12 to 24 hours for iTunes and the other podcast directories to, to pick it up. So if you would like uh, that priority access, then the easiest way to do so is to support us via Buy Me A Coffee. You can buy one coffee, you can buy two coffees, you can buy 10 coffees or you can buy a whole year's supply. It's entirely up to you, but every single uh, little donation through Buy Me A Coffee is greatly appreciated. The links of how to do so you'll find in the show notes of each and every episode. Thanks in advance.
2: So, Chris, we've got a bit of cruise news to get through this week. We're going to start off with, back in the UK, Fred
3: Olsen, um, set sail for their inaugural cruise with Bollette. Yes, so she's their latest um, flagship, (laughs) Um, having moved across earlier, um, it was last year, I think, uh, Mm. from from Holland America Line, um, Ballette is, you know, a significant scale up in terms of size as well for Fred Olsen. So a whole new sort of era opening up for the company. Um, she's now set sail. Um, there's some fantastic, uh, imagery there. You can find it online of her with the white cliffs of Dover yeah. behind her. She's, she's off on her maiden voyage as a Fred Olson ship, um, which, which departed on the 16th of August. So a little while ago now, but, um, she she did this um, this voyage out to to the Skilly Isles, which was you know kind of a local a local experience, which is what a lot of the cruise lines are doing in the UK at the moment. Um, and the ship itself hasn't just been sort of bought and then put into service. She's actually been alongside for quite a while now, having a whole heap of refit work done on board to sort of Fred Olsenize her, I guess, um, <laughs> if you will, uh, which includes changing things like carpeting and updating the cabins and some new bathrooms have been installed um, and many of the public areas have been sort of revamped and renamed um, to sort of fit that uh, that Fred Olsen um, brand experience uh, and the ship itself you know it's a uh, maximum capacity is 1400 passengers so you know for people who are a little bit shy of the idea of going on a cruise ship with thousands of people she's you know for her size that's a relatively uh, modest passenger capacity, so there's pretty good passenger space ratio on board.
2: Brilliant. And next we head over to Norwegian Cruise
3: Lines who uh, this week floated out their latest ship. What is it, Chris? Norwegian Prima, which we've spoken about mm. um, before. And, of course, she's the latest ship and the newest in a brand-new class of ships to be uh, delivered or built for Norwegian Cruise Line uh, being constructed at the Fincantieri shipyards um, near Venice. And she is the first of her six in the class, the Prima class, mm-hmm. and obviously the, the class is quite often named after the the lead ship in the class, the first one. So that's probably why there's a connection there between those two names. Um, and it's um, you know it's a bit smaller than the previous ships that they've been doing, but it's it's very different in its design and layout. Um, she's just shy of three hundred meters long, one hundred forty-two thousand gross tons. Um, three point well three and a half oh no actually three thousand two hundred guests um yeah. on board the ship and she's actually sort of i think represents a bit of a shift for ncl in terms of reconnecting with the ocean yeah absolutely. And reconnecting with the outdoors um because she's got a huge amount of open space on board which we have spoken about in a previous podcast but like wide open deck areas seating areas with and lots of windows with views to the ocean so that's going to be really cool to be a to be able to go on board that and and see their their sort of take it reconnecting with the ocean, um, and because of this sort of design, um, they're saying that she is the most spacious spacious new ship in the uh, premium and contemporary category. So I guess that that'll be um, something that would be really interesting to to, to look at. Um, she's got this ocean. They're calling it the ocean boulevard, which is sort of like a I guess modern take on the boat deck, (laughs) um, (laughs) which wraps around the the ship, and it's got um, over 4000 square meters of space. So um, it really does sound like there's a there's a good uh, link there. And so she's going to be, um, you know, she's been floated out, they'll continue the the construction work there, they'll do the fitting out where they put the interior inside the ship, and then she'll be she'll be uh, ready to enter service.
2: Brilliant. And of course, she is entering service in the Northern Hemisphere summer of 2022, starting off initially up in um, Northern Europe, which will be uh, great, I'm sure. Keeping mm. with the Norwegian family, we've also got news from from Regent Seven Seas this year. They've just announced the 2324
3: Voyage Collection. Yes, 139 new new trips. Um, and the list of places where the ships are going is so <laughs> huh, so long um that i would run out of breath but um <laughs> basically it takes in a whole heap of different continents and countries um it's going from you know all parts of africa up to alaska to australia to northern europe and many places in between so yeah, yep. they'll be in the they'll be in the show notes and they've got a few um special i guess they're calling them grand voyages um so they, they say it's been a th- Thoughtfully curated for the line's most discerning guests, um, mm-hmm. but they're like a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit special. So there's a 78 night um, New York uh, to Barcelona, which is a, an Arctic, so it goes by the Arctic. So um, that's a like a long duration voyage, 78 um, nights. Um, there's a, a grand European voyage, 62 nights, um, takes in Sweden um, and Athens and other places in Europe that are that are very popular, but quite a varied. You know geography there, mm-hmm. so yeah. that's probably why it needs sixty-two nights to do it. Uh, and then you can go around South America as well. Um, so starting in Miami, and then making that transit around South America, um, and then there's a Grand Asia Pacific voyage as well, fifty-nine nights from Sydney to Tokyo. Ooh, sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. Goodness <laughs> gracious, it would be nice. <laughs> I, can't, I can just. I, I think. I think Baz will have to be. Will have to be in. Sydney doing a live broadcast or something when the first big cruise ship comes back in. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. 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 Too right. Absolutely. Uh, just a reminder for listeners for Regent Seven Seas, they do include pretty much everything, including shore excursions. And on some of those voyages, they're also including free pre land and uh, sorry, pre or post land. And the uh, details of that are all in the show notes once again. And next to brand we don't often get a chance to talk about too much, but a brand I would love to try for myself and the kids, of course, Disney announcing a new feature on Disney Wish, and it sounds incredible. If it, it almost sounds a bit, a bit Pokemonish.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very, um, it's very different. Uh, it's called the Uncharted Adventure, um, and it's a kind of an immersive experience. They say it's into multi-dimensional rather um, uh, experience on board the ship, where passengers are able to interact with. Um, characters from Disney and Pixar films, um, so it's kind of like a play experience. I think that families and and individuals can can be involved in. Um, sounds like something that you really want to try to explain it best because <laughs> yeah. it, it um, you know it's very difficult to sort of visualize.
2: There was a picture that came through the press recently, basically. Seeing the picture
3: kind of makes it make sense. Yeah. Um. And you basically, put that in the show notes. maybe we'll link to it.
2: Yeah, I will do. Yeah. Basically, you use your smartphone or a device of some description to go around, using your camera or your spyglass—I think they call it—to look for these uh, holograms or objects that are obviously yeah. not there in person, but they're generated somehow. So you're out on the top deck looking for, you know, you know a Disney character to appear mm. in the night sky and things, and it, yeah, it just looks incredible. Great for kids and adults alike, I reckon.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be something that we, um, you know, fun, fun to. And I think one of the links that they've made as well is that it's a great way to explore the ship, yeah. Because I think we find with particularly these big ships, so so many people come on board, and, and when you think about the the Caribbean market or the um, even even the the short voyages that people are going on now. You get onto a ship that's of uh, you know hundred thousand tons plus kind of class, and. In that time that you're on board you could actually miss out on a lot of parts of the yeah. ship because you're not there for long enough to like do the full-on exploration so by using this and going around and having these opportunities to actually go to different parts of the ship that you might not you know necessarily think to go to if you were just there for a few days it really does give you an opportunity to actually see the entire vessel whilst playing this um this experience so it's quite a clever <laughs> idea
2: yeah it is of course disney wish makes a maiden voyage on 9th of june 2022. Heading out of NASA, sorry, heading out to Nassau and of course Disney's private island, Castaway Key. Hey, mm. okay, should I say? Um, Azamara have uh, updated some information regarding the full fleet voyages. Of course, they teased us with one ship earlier for twenty twenty three. Now we know what they're all doing.
3: Yes, so it's uh, a lot it's, of information here. Refers yeah, to the show. notes. absolutely no. Yeah, there is um, <laughs> basically uh, the um, the short version is that they're having a, a twenty twenty three Europe <laughs> um, intensive season. Um, the full fleet, I guess, of the four four ships now. There's Pursuit, Quest, Journey, and Onward, which is the newest one. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to they're releasing 95 voyages, um, and 35 of those they're referring to as country intensive trips. So I guess that's like from a European perspective, where you're taking in lots of different countries on the same voyage which obviously for 2023 is something that people will be very keen to do because most of the voyages that have resumed are quite limited in their geography. Um, and I think one of the joys about cruising was, of course, trying experiencing different cultures and different um, different countries and different cities and stuff. So I think by 2023 it will be great to see that coming back um, so strongly. But as you say, there are so many different bits of information about this, about where the ships are going, and, um, there's um, across the whole season that they've announced they're going to have three hundred and fifteen um, stops that stay late into the night or overnight mm-hmm. um, in different places around around Europe, and that again is something you and I have have, have mentioned before yeah, yeah. because being able to see and experience a place at night when there's you know dining and entertainment and lights and all that sort of stuff does give you a very different take on a, on a city particularly than yep. during the day. So something that cruise lines used to do a lot back in the past, and it's great to see that coming back. Um, and then there's also, you know, themes as well on board. So they've got culinary, dining, sailings, they've got sports. Yep. They've got um, a, a whole series of voyages that are based around maiden calls, first time coming into a port. Um, from places such as Norway and France and Denmark, even to Turkey and Iceland and Finland, so you know so much choice. And um, as you said before, sign sign me up, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> and they've also got thirteen golf voyages as well because they have a golf. Ah, uh, golf, as well, yeah, so, yep. yeah, yeah. That's actually quite That's, popular, funnily enough. Is um mm. is the is the is the golf? It's partnership with Perry Golf, I believe, which is yeah. And I mean, I don't know much about golf, but if any golf lovers out there they probably know it's an international luxury golf brand yeah exactly yeah
2: no lots to read there so if you if you're interested in azamara interested in what they've got there, either head to the show notes or pop into your local travel agents um we've got a bit of news in from star clippers they've just announced their 2023 mediterranean preview on their tall ships
3: yeah exactly so again um european mediterranean intensive uh voyage there's uh, they're noting that there's high demand for these particular types of cruises um they've got three uh, clipper ships and so they'll be they'll be sailing into these the, these voyages and the, the sailings go from april um through to october 2023 so it's you know a while out yet but um but you know that's where forward bookings are at the moment i think a lot of yeah, people are, yeah. are planning ahead at the moment um and you can go on voyages from three to 11 days and in fact there's a couple that are that are longer than that as well um and there's a whole heap of different destinations and ports that are included from the Greek Isles to the Adriatic um, to Corsica and many of the different European Rivieras are included in there as well so um, sounds wonderful it really does it does it does
2: now if I had to ask you um, well actually let's rephrase that if I had to ask you when cruising restarted after the whole Covid shutdown could you pick a particular month or date even how do you like how do you mean So you know how cruising all shut down and then all of a sudden one cruise line restarted. Um, We know that it was MSC that restarted, but can you believe it's a year ago already?
3: Yes, I I would, you know, it feels, it actually feels like it might be be about a year now, but there was all those starts and restarts. So it's confusing to remember back to when it, to when it actually happened,
2: <laughs> I if you, somebody asked me, I'd probably said about six months because in my head I've kind of got what happened in Singapore and i forgot all about what happened in Europe back in the the early part of the restart. Yeah, of course, didn't, MSC didn't, they um, just celebrated a year.
3: Yeah, because uh, Dream Cruises as well, I think had, um, had had some early voyages as well. It was July, I think, last year. I think year, Taiwan,
2: when... I think, yeah, and then Taiwan was probably yeah, there's probably early, early November, ones. Maybe. But
3: I think MSC, as you mentioned, from from. From August of last year, has been quite consistently back, I guess, yep. um, and and has been involved in most of the major restarts around the world so far. So obviously, it was grandiose, I think, back in, in August of last year um, that that recommenced their voyages, and right, yeah. um, now they were obviously um, heavily involved in the in the restart of UK cruises all those months later. So they've probably gained quite a lot of um, experience in how to, how to restart cruising, having been involved in, in so many of those restarts.
2: Yeah, it'd be great to see MSC have a ship down in Australia, ultimately, when things do restart. Because we get one that calls for on a world voyage, but we don't have any kind of local presence as such, do we, with MSC at this stage?
3: No, I know. And, I mean, there were plans, obviously, to have more of them coming here on their world cruises. And I think we have spoken about future world cruises where MSC will be back here as well. But yeah. um, you know, so many cruise lines were starting to to to, to base ships in Australia and New Zealand um, and even Asia Pacific for longer periods of time. Yeah. Um, I just hope that <laughs> that, that the, um, the, the, the the situation around around COVID won't won't stop them from from those plans once it's safe for them to be coming back down here. Yeah, no, exactly.
2: Let's finish off with one last good news piece from our friends at Crystal Cruises. They've mm. just announced uh, the expedition yacht Crystal Endeavour is going to be putting in an extra voyage and making her US debut out of Miami.
3: Yeah, so she's going to be doing a nine-night voyage into the Caribbean. Um, it's uh, going to take in a number of remote islands. It's what the ship's sort of designed for. So, like She's, she's uh, going to bring all the things that Crystal is known for, but She's smaller. She's a luxury yacht. She can go into those sort of faraway or um, more remote ports or places using, mm-hmm. you know, Zodiacs and stuff to get ashore, that sort of thing. So um, it's uh, it's called the, the Caribbean Mystique, <laughs> and it will sail from Miami to San Juan um, in 2021, uh, October and November of 2021 and yeah as i mentioned it takes in a whole heap of different different locations different ports and uh, the reservations for that the bookings available for that are are open now if anybody is um is thinking of um you know we've got an international audience obviously so australians wouldn't 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 be looking at this but uh people who are in the united states it would be a great opportunity for you to sample this this new take on the crystal cruise experience
2: yeah and as with many uh, small ship experiences this is going to be all about getting into places that Big ships can't, but yeah. doing it in that ultra-luxury style that Crystal is very, very famous for. Yeah, absolutely. Great. A lot of cruise news there for us this week, Chris. Uh, of course, uh, you're always out and about, doing not only your little local presentations that you do so well, you're also very active out on social media. Any videos are,
3: are on the horizon? Yeah, we've just launched a new one this week. Um, it's an uh, interesting little um, bit of fun, I suppose. It's QM2 versus Titanic. Because, oh. I, you know, I have um, noticed... Uh, not only via people messaging me, but also through um, the popularity of sort of searches and stuff. When you look on, when you look on Google, that one of the most sort of queried thing is is the size comparisons of ships, big ships versus the Titanic, because she yeah. is still remembered as the world's largest liner. Of course, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you will know she is by no means a large ship by today's standards. But of course, at the time of her introduction to service, was the the world's largest ship, um, and so uh, starting with a with a favorite of mine with the with the QM two, I thought it was a nice way to look at um, not only how much bigger um, QM two is, but also how do the facilities compare on yeah. the two ships? How does the speed compare of the two ships? Uh, maybe Titanic is. Um, M- might be uh might have been more capable in some in some ways in queen mary too. you'll have to watch the video to find out
2: brilliant and of course the link to your um youtube channel is always in the show notes and um, but also very easy to find you um as well it's chris frame cunard i think from memory isn't it uh, chris frame official official of course yeah. yes
3: yeah we're, <laughs> more, we're branching out not just cunard <laughs> although it's uh, still a very you know special place in my heart of course of course always will be Chris,
2: always a pleasure, mate. Thank you once again. And I'm sure we'll be back same time next week with uh, even more listener questions,
3: more cruise news, and a little bit of maritime history. Sounds great, Barry. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.